Chapter Six of Celebrated Crimes, Volume Two: The Massacres of the South. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Celebrated Crimes, Volume Two: The Massacres of the South by Alexander Dumas. Chapter Six. At length, Louis the Fourteenth, bowed beneath the weight of a reign of sixty years, was summoned in his turn to appear before God, from whom, as some said, he looked for reward and others for pardon. For Nimes, that city with the heart of fire, was quiet. Like the wounded who have lost the best part of their blood, she thought only with the egotism of a convalescent of being left in peace to regain the strength which had become exhausted through the terrible wounds which Montrevel and the duke of berwick had dealt her for sixty years petty ambition had taken the place of sublime self-sacrifice and disputes about etiquette succeeded mortal combats then the philosophic era dawned and the sarcasms of the encyclopedist withered the monarchical intolerance of louis the fourteenth and charles the ninth thereupon the protestants resumed their preaching baptized their children and buried their dead commerce flourished once more and the two religions lived side by side one concealing under a peaceful exterior the memory of its martyrs the other the memory of its triumphs such was the mood on which the blood-red orb of the sun of eighty-nine rose the protestants greeted it with cries of joy and indeed the promised liberty gave them back their country their civil rights and the status of french citizens nevertheless whatever were the hopes of one party or the fears of the other nothing had as yet occurred to disturb the prevailing tranquillity when on the nineteenth and twentieth of july seventeen eighty nine a body of troops was formed in the capital of lagarde which was to bear the name of the nimes militia the resolution which authorized this act was passed by the citizens of the three orders sitting in the hall of the palace it was as follows article ten the nimes legion shall consist of a colonel a lieutenant colonel a major a lieutenant major an adjutant twenty-four captains twenty-four lieutenants seventy-two sergeants seventy-two corporals and eleven hundred and fifty-two privates in all thirteen hundred and forty-nine men forming eighty companies article eleven the place of general assembly shall be the esplanade article twelve the eighty companies shall be attached to the four quarters of the town mentioned below vis-a-vis -vis place de la hotel de ville place de la maison carre place st jean and place de chateau article thirteen the companies as they are formed by the permanent council shall each choose its own captain lieutenant sergeants and corporals and from the date of his nomination the captain shall have a seat on the permanent council the nimes militia was deliberately formed upon certain lines which brought catholics and protestants closely together as allies with weapons in their hands but they stood over a mine which was bound to explode some day as the slightest friction between the two parties would produce a spark this state of concealed amnity lasted for nearly a year being augmented by political antipathies for the protestants almost to a man were republicans and the catholics royalists in the interval that is to say towards january seventeen ninety a catholic named francois froment was entrusted by the marquis de Foucault with the task of raising organizing and commanding a royalist party in the south thus we learn from one of his own letters to the marquis 
which was printed in Paris in 1817. He describes his mode of action in the following words. It is not difficult to understand that being faithful to my religion and my king, and shocked at the seditious ideas which were disseminated on all sides, I should try to inspire others with the same spirit with which I myself was animated so during the year 1789. I published several articles in which I exposed the dangers which threatened altar and throne. Struck with the justice of my criticisms, my countrymen displayed the most zealous ardor in their efforts to restore to the king the full exercise of all his rights. Being anxious to take advantage of this favorable state of feeling, and thinking that it would be dangerous to hold communication with the ministers of Louis the Sixteenth, who were watched by the conspirators, I went secretly to Turin to solicit the approbation and support of the French princes there. At a consultation which was held just after my arrival, I showed them that if they would arm not only the partisans of the throne, but those of the altar, and advance the interests of religion, while advancing the interests of royalty, it would be easy to save both. My plan had for sole object to bind a party together, and give it as far as I was able breadth and stability. As the revolutionists placed their chief dependence on force, I felt that they could only be met by force. For then, as now, I was convinced of this great truth, that one strong passion can only be overcome by another stronger, and that therefore republican fanaticism could only be driven out by religious zeal. The princes, being convinced of the correctness of my reasoning and the efficacy of my remedies, promised me the arms and supplies necessary to stem the tide of faction, and the Comte d'Artois gave me letters of recommendation to the chief nobles in Upper Languedoc, that I might concert measures with them, for the nobles in that part of the country had assembled at Toulouse to deliberate on the best way of inducing the other orders to unite in restoring to the Catholic religion its useful influence, to the laws their power, and to the king his liberty and authority. On my return to Languedoc, I went from town to town in order to meet those gentlemen to whom the Comte d'Artois had written, among whom were many of the most influential royalists and some members of the States of Parliament. Having decided on a general plan and agreed on a method of carrying on secret correspondence with each other, I went to Nimes to wait for the assistance which I had been promised from Turin, but which I never received. While waiting, I devoted myself to awakening and sustaining the zeal of the inhabitants, who at my suggestion on the 20th April passed a resolution which was signed by 5,000 inhabitants. This resolution which was at once a religious and political manifesto, was drafted by Viala, Monsieur Froment's secretary, and it lay for signature in his office. Many of the Catholics signed it without even reading it, for there was a short paragraph prefixed to the document which contained all the information they seemed to desire. Gentlemen, the aspirations of a great number of our Catholic and patriotic fellow-citizens are expressed in the resolution which we have the honor of laying before you. They felt that under present circumstances such a resolution was necessary, and they feel convinced that if you give it your support, as they do not doubt you will, knowing your patriotism, your religious zeal, and your love for our august sovereign, it will conduce to the happiness of France, the maintenance of the true religion, and the rightful authority of the king. We are, gentlemen, with respect, your very humble and obedient servants, the President and Commissioners of the Catholic Assembly of Nimes. Signed,
Froment, Commissioner. Lapierre, President. Folachet, President. Levelu, Commissioner. Favre, Commissioner. Melchion, Commissioner. Robin, Commissioner. Vigne, Commissioner. At the same time, a number of pamphlets entitled Pierre Roman to the Catholics of Nimes were distributed to the people in the streets, containing, among other attacks on the Protestants, the following passages. If the door to high positions and civil and military honors were closed to the Protestants, and a powerful tribunal established at Nimes to see that this rule were strictly kept, you would soon see Protestantism disappear. The Protestants demand to share all the privileges which you enjoy, but if you grant them this, their one thought will then be to dispossess you entirely, and they will soon succeed. Like ungrateful vipers, who in a torpid state were harmless, they will, when warmed by your benefits, turn and kill you. They are your born enemies. Your fathers only escaped, as by a miracle, from their blood-stained hands. Have you not often heard of the cruelties practiced on them? It was a slight thing when the Protestants inflicted death alone unaccompanied by the most horrible tortures. Such as they were, such they are. It may easily be imagined that such attacks soon embittered minds already disposed to find new causes for the old hatred, and besides the Catholics did not long confine themselves to resolutions and pamphlets. Froment, who had already got himself appointed receiver-general of the chapter and captain of one of the Catholic companies, insisted on being present at the installation of the town council, and brought his company with him armed with pitchforks, in spite of the express prohibition of the colonel of the legion these forks were terrible weapons and had been fabricated in a particular form for the catholics of nimes uza and Allais. but froment and his company paid no attention to the prohibition and this disobedience made a great impression on the protestants who began to divine the hostility of their adversaries and it is very possible that if the new town council had not shut their eyes to this act of insubordination civil war might have burst forth in nimes that very day the next day at roll call a sergeant of another company one alien a cooper by trade taunted one of the men with having carried a pitchfork the day before in disobedience to orders he replied that the mayor had permitted him to carry it alien not believing this proposed to some of the men to go with him to the mayor's and ask if it were true when they saw monsieur marguerite he said that he had permitted nothing of the kind and sent the delinquent to prison half an hour later however he gave orders for his release as soon as he was free he set off to find his comrades and told them what had occurred they considering that an insult to one was an insult to the whole company determined on having satisfaction at once so about eleven o'clock p m they went to the cooper's house carrying with them a gallows and ropes ready greased but quietly as they approached alien heard them for his door being bolted from within had to be forced looking out of the window he saw a great crowd and as he suspected that his life was in danger he got out of a back window into the yard and so escaped the militia being thus disappointed wreaked their vengeance on some passing protestants whose unlucky stars had led them that way these they knocked about and even stabbed one of them three times with a knife on the twenty second april seventeen ninety the royalists that is to say the catholics assumed the white cockade although it was no longer the national emblem and on the first may some of the militia who had planted a maypole at the mayor's door were invited to lunch with him on the second 
the company which was on guard at the mayor's official residence shouted several times during the day long live the king up with the cross and down with the black throats this was the name which they had given to the calvinists three cheers for the white cockade before we are done it will be red with the blood of the protestants however on the fifth of may they ceased to wear it replacing it by a scarlet tuft which in their patois they called the red poof which was immediately adopted as the catholic emblem each day as it passed brought forth fresh brawls and provocations libels were invented by the capuchins and spread abroad by three of their number meetings were held every day and at last became so numerous that the town authorities called in the aid of the militia dragoons to disperse them now these gatherings consisted chiefly of those tillers of the soil who are called chebets from a provincial word kebay which means onion and they could easily be recognized as catholics by their red poof which they wore both in and out of uniform on the other hand the dragoons were all protestants however these latter were so very gentle in their admonitions that although the two parties found themselves so to speak constantly face to face and armed for several days the meetings were dispersed without bloodshed but this was exactly what the cabets did not want so they began to insult the dragoons and turn them into ridicule consequently one morning they gathered together in great numbers mounted on asses and with drawn swords began to patrol the city at the same time the lower classes who were nearly all catholics joined the burlesque patrols in complaining loudly of the dragoons some saying that their horses had trampled on their children and others that they had frightened their wives the protestants contradicted them both parties grew angry swords were half drawn when the municipal authorities came on the scene and instead of apprehending the ringleaders forbade the dragoons to patrol the town any more ordering them in future to do nothing more than send twenty men every day to mount guard at the episcopal palace and to undertake no other duty except at the express request of the town council although it was expected that the dragoons would revolt against such a humiliation they submitted which was a great disappointment to the cabets who had been longing for a chance to indulge in new outrages for all that the catholics did not consider themselves beaten they felt sure of being able to find some other way of driving their quarry to bay sunday the thirteenth of june arrived this day had been selected by the catholics for a great demonstration towards ten o'clock in the morning some companies wearing the red tuft under pretext of going to mass marched through the city armed and uttering threats the few dragoons on the other hand who were on guard at the palace had not even a sentinel posted and had only five muskets in the guard-house at two o'clock p m there was a meeting held in the jacobin church consisting almost exclusively of militia wearing the red tuft the mayor pronounced a panegyric on those who wore it and was followed by pierre froment who explained his mission in much the same words as those quoted above he then ordered a cask of wine to be broached and distributed among the cabets and told them to walk about the streets in threes and to disarm all the dragoons whom they might meet away from their post about six o'clock in the evening a red tuft volunteer presented himself at the gate of the palace and ordered the porter to sweep the courtyard saying that the volunteers were going to get up a ball for the dragoons after this piece of bravado he went away and in a few moments a note arrived couched in the following terms 
the bishop's porter is warned to let no dragoon on horse or on foot enter or leave the palace this evening on pain of death thirteenth june seventeen ninety this note being brought to the lieutenant he came out and reminded the volunteer that nobody but the town authorities could give orders to the servants at the palace the volunteer gave an insolent answer the lieutenant advised him to go away quietly threatening if he did not to put him out by force this altercation attracted a great many of the red tufts from outside while the dragoons hearing the noise came down into the yard the quarrel became more lively stones were thrown the call to arms was heard and in a few moments about forty cabets who were prowling around in the neighborhood of the palace rushed into the yard carrying guns and swords the lieutenant who had only about a dozen dragoons at his back ordered the bugle to sound to recall those who had gone out the volunteers threw themselves upon the bugler dragged his instrument from his hands and broke it to pieces then several shots were fired by the militia the dragoons returned them and a regular battle began the lieutenant soon saw that this was no mere street row but a deliberate rising planned beforehand and realizing that very serious consequences were likely to ensue he sent a dragoon to the town hall by a back way to give notice to the authorities monsieur de st paul major of the nimes legion hearing some noise outside opened his window and found the whole city in a tumult people were running in every direction and shouting as they ran that the dragoons were being killed at the palace the major rushed out into the streets at once gathered together a dozen to fifteen patriotic citizens without weapons and hurried to the town hall there he found two officials of the town and begged them to go at once to the place de la veche escorted by the first company which was on guard at the town hall they agreed and set off on the way several shots were fired at them but no one was hit when they arrived at the square the cabets fired a volley at them with the same negative result up the three principal streets which led to the palace numerous red tufts were hurrying the first company took possession of the ends of the streets and being fired at returned the fire repulsing the assailants and clearing the square with the loss of one of their men while several of the retreating cabets were wounded while this struggle was going on at the palace the spirit of murder broke loose in the town at the gate of madeleine monsieur de yalabert's house was broken into by the red tufts the unfortunate old man came out to meet them and asked what they wanted your life and the lives of all the other dogs of protestants was the reply whereupon he was seized and dragged through the streets fifteen insurgents hacking at him with their swords at last he managed to escape from their hands but died two days later of the wounds another old man named astruc who was bowed beneath the weight of seventy-two years and whose white hair covered his shoulders was met as he was on his way to the gate of carme being recognized as a protestant he received five wounds from some of the famous pitchforks belonging to the company of froment he fell but the assassins picked him up and throwing him into the moat amused themselves by flinging stones at him till one of them with more humanity than his fellows put a bullet through his head three electors monsieur massador from near beaucaire monsieur viala from the canton of la salle and monsieur Puich of the same place were attacked by red tufts on their way home and all three seriously wounded the captain who had been in command of the detachment on guard at the electoral assembly was returning to his quarters accompanied by a sergeant and three volunteers of his own company when they were stopped on the petit corps by froment commonly called d'amblay 
who pressing the barrel of a pistol to the captain's breast said stand you rascal and give up your arms at the same time the red tufts seizing the captain from behind by the hair pulled him down froment fired his pistol but missed as he fell the captain drew his sword but it was torn from his hands and he received a cut from froment's sword upon this the captain made a great effort and getting one of his arms free drew a pistol from his pocket drove back his assassins fired at froment and missed him one of the men by his side was wounded and disarmed a patrol of the regiment of guienne attached to which was monsieur boudon a dragoon officer was passing the calquiere monsieur boudon was attacked by a band of red tufts and his cask and his musket carried off several shots were fired at him but none of them hit him the patrol surrounded him to save him but as he had received two bayonet wounds he desired revenge and breaking through his protectors darted forward to regain possession of his musket and was killed in a moment one of his fingers was cut off to get at a diamond ring which he wore his pockets were rifled of his purse and watch and his body was thrown into the moat meantime the place de recollet the corps the place de carme the grand rue and rue de notre dame d'esplanade were filled with men armed with guns pitchforks and swords they had all come from froment's house which overlooked that part of nimes called les calquieres and the entrance to which was on the ramparts near the dominican towers the three leaders of the insurrection froment folachet and descombier took possession of these towers which formed a part of the old castle from this position the catholics could sweep the entire quay of les calquieres and the steps of the salle de spectacle with their guns and if it should turn out that the insurrection they had excited did not attain the dimensions they expected nor gain such enthusiastic adherence it would be quite feasible for them to defend themselves in such a position until relief came these arrangements were either the result of long meditation or were the inspiration of some clever strategist the fact is that everything leads one to believe that it was a plan which had been formed with great care for the rapidity with which all the approaches to the fortress were lined with a double row of militiamen all wearing the red tuft the care which was taken to place the most eager next the barracks in which the park of artillery was stationed and lastly the manner in which the approach to the citadel was barred by an entire company this being the only place where the patriots could procure arms combined to prove that this plan was the result of much forethought for while it appeared to be only defensive it enabled the insurrectionists to attack without much danger it caused others to believe that they had been first attacked it was successfully carried out before the citizens were armed and until then only a part of the foot guard and the twelve dragoons at the palace had offered any resistance to the conspirators the red flag round which in case of civil war all good citizens were expected to gather and which was kept at the town hall and which should have been brought out at the first shot was now loudly called for the abbe de belmont a canon a vicar-general and municipal official was persuaded almost forced to become standard-bearer as being the most likely on account of his ecclesiastical position to all rebels who had taken up arms in the name of religion the abbe himself gives the following account of the manner in which he fulfilled this mandate about seven o'clock in the evening i was engaged with messieurs portier and ferrand in auditing accounts when we heard a noise in the court and going out on the lobby we saw several dragoons coming upstairs amongst whom was monsieur paris they told us that fighting was going on in the place de la Vesche, 
because someone or other had brought a note to the porter ordering him to admit no more dragoons to the palace on pain of death at this point i interrupted their story by asking why the gates had not been closed and the bearer of the letter arrested but they replied to me that it had not been possible thereupon messieurs ferrand and pontier put on their scarves and went out a few instants later several dragoons amongst whom i recognized none but messieurs lesons de potet paris junior and boudon accompanied by a great number of the militia entered demanding that the red flag should be brought out they tried to open the door of the council hall and finding it locked they called upon me for the key i asked that one of the attendants should be sent for but they were all out then i went to the hall porter to see if he knew where the key was he said monsieur berding had taken it meanwhile just as the volunteers were about to force an entrance someone ran up with the key the door was opened and the red flag seized and forced into my hands i was then dragged down into the courtyard and from thence to the square it was all in vain to tell them that they ought first to get authority and to represent to them that i was no suitable standard-bearer on account of my profession but they would not listen to any objection saying that my life depended upon my obedience and that my profession would overawe the disturbers of the public peace so i went on followed by a detachment of the guienne regiment part of the first company of the legion and several dragoons a young man with fixed bayonet kept always at my side rage was depicted on the faces of all those who accompanied me and they indulged in oaths and threats to which i paid no attention in passing through the rue de greffe they complained that i did not carry the red flag high enough nor unfurl it fully when we got to the guard-house at the crown gate the guard turned out and the officer was commanded to follow us with his men he replied that he could not do that without a written order from a member of the town council thereupon those around me told me i must write such an order but i asked for a pen and ink everybody was furious because i had none with me so offensive were the remarks indulged in by the volunteers and some soldiers of the guienne regiment and so threatening their gestures that i grew alarmed i was hustled and even received several blows but at length monsieur de boudon brought me paper and a pen and i wrote i require the troops to assist us to maintain order by force if necessary upon this the officer consented to accompany us we had hardly taken half a dozen steps when they all began to ask what had become of the order i had just written for it could not be found they surrounded me saying that i had not written it at all and i was on the point of being trampled underfoot when a militiaman found it all crumpled up in his pocket the threats grew louder and once more it was because i did not carry the flag high enough everyone insisting that i was quite tall enough to display it to better advantage however at this point the militiamen with the red tufts made their appearance a few armed with muskets but the greater number with swords shots were exchanged and the soldiers of the line and the national guard arranged themselves in battle order in a kind of recess and desired me to go forward alone which i refused to do because i should have been between two fires upon this curses threats and blows reached their height i was dragged out before the troops and struck with the butt ends of their muskets and the flat of their swords until i advanced one blow that i received between the shoulders filled my mouth with blood all this time those of the opposite party were coming nearer and those with whom i was continued to yell at me to go on i went on until i met them i besought them to retire even throwing myself at their feet but all persuasion was in vain they swept me along with them making me enter by the carmelite gate 
where they took the flag from me and allowed me to enter the house of a woman whose name I have never known. I was spitting such a quantity of blood that she took pity on me and brought me everything she could think of as likely to do me good, and as soon as I was a little revived I asked to be shown the way to Monsieur Pontier's. While Abbe de Belmont was carrying the red flag, the militia forced the town councillors to proclaim martial law. This had just been done when word was brought that the first red flag had been carried off, so Monsieur Ferrand de Missol got out another, and followed by a considerable escort, took the same road as his colleague. Abbe de Belmont, when he arrived at the Calquieres, the red tufts who still adorned the ramparts and towers, began to fire upon the procession, and one of the militia was disabled, the escort retreated, but Monsieur Ferrand advanced alone to the Carmelite gate, like Monsieur de Belmont, and like him he too was taken prisoner. He was brought to the tower where he found Froment in a fury, declaring that the council had not kept its promise, having sent no relief, and having delayed to give up the citadel to him. The escort, however, had only retreated in order to seek help. They rushed tumultuously to the barracks, and finding the regiment of Guienne drawn up in marching order in command of Lieutenant Colonel Bonne, they asked him to follow them, but he refused without a written order from a town councillor. Upon this an old corporal shouted, Brave soldiers of Guienne! The country is in danger. Let us not delay to do our duty. Yes, yes, cried the soldiers. Let us march. The lieutenant colonel, no longer daring to resist, gave the word of command, and they set off for the esplanade. As they came near the rampart with drums beating, the firing ceased, but as night was coming on, the newcomers did not dare to risk attacking, and moreover the silence of the guns led them to think that the rebels had given up their enterprise. Having remained an hour in the square, the troops returned to their quarters, and the patriots went to pass the night in an enclosure on the Montpellier road. It almost seemed as if the Catholics were beginning to recognize the futility of their plot, for although they had appealed to fanaticism, forced the town council to do their will, scattered gold lavishly, and made wine flow, out of eighteen companies only three had joined them. Fifteen companies, said Monsieur Alquier, in his report to the National Assembly, although they had adopted the red tuft took no part in the struggle and did not add to the number of crimes committed either on that day or during the days that followed but although the catholics gained few partisans among their fellow-citizens they felt certain that people from the country would rally to their aid but about ten o'clock in the evening the rebel ringleaders seeing that no help arrived from that quarter either resolved to apply a stimulus to those without consequently froment wrote the following letter to monsieur de Bonzol, under commandant of the province of languedoc who was living at lunel sir up to the present all my demands that the catholic companies should be put under arms have been of no avail in spite of the order that you gave at my request the officials of the municipality were of opinion that it would be more prudent to delay the distribution of the muskets until after the meeting of the electoral assembly this day the protestant dragoons have attacked and killed several of our unarmed catholics and you may imagine the confusion and alarm that prevail in the town. As a good citizen and a true patriot, I entreat you to send an order to the regiment of royal dragoons to repair at once to Nimes to restore tranquillity and put down all who break the peace. The town council does not meet, none of them dares to leave his house, and if you receive no requisition from them just now, it is because they go in terror of their lives and fear to appear openly. Two red flags have been carried about the streets, 
and municipal officers without guards have been obliged to take refuge in patriotic houses although i am only a private citizen i take the liberty of asking for aid from you knowing that the protestants have sent to la vanage and la gardonique to ask you for reinforcements and the arrival of fanatics from these districts would expose all good patriots to slaughter knowing as i do of your kindness and justice i have full trust that my prayer will receive your favorable attention froment captain of company number thirty nine june thirteenth seventeen ninety eleven o'clock p m unfortunately for the catholic party dupre and lutaud to whom his letter was entrusted for delivery and for whom passports were made out as being employed on business connected with the king and the state were arrested at Fehad, and their despatches laid before the electoral assembly many other letters of the same kind were also intercepted and the red tufts went about the town saying that the catholics of nimes were being massacred the priest of corbesac among others was shown a letter saying that a capuchin monk had been murdered and that the catholics were in need of help the agents who brought this letter to him wanted him to put his name to it that they might show it everywhere but they were met by a positive refusal at bouillargues and manduel the tocsin was sounded the two villages joined forces and with weapons in their hands marched along the road from beaucaire to nimes at the bridge of quart the villagers of redresson and marguerite joined them thus reinforced they were able to bar the way to all who passed and subject them to examination if a man could show he was a catholic he was allowed to proceed but the protestants were murdered then and there we may remind our readers that the cadets de la croix pursued the same method in seventeen o four meantime descombier froment and folacher remained masters of the ramparts and the tower and when very early one morning their forces were augmented by the insurgents from the villages about two hundred men they took advantage of their strength to force a way into the house of a certain tehran from which it was easy to effect an entrance to the jacobin monastery and from there to the tower adjoining so that their line now extended from the gate at the bridge of calquier to that at the end of college street from daylight to dusk all the patriots who came within range were fired at whether they were armed or not on the fourteenth june at four o'clock in the morning that part of the legion which was against the catholics gathered together in the square of the esplanada where they were joined by the patriots from the adjacent towns and villages who came in in small parties till they formed quite an army at five a m monsieur de saint pons knowing that the windows of the capuchin monastery commanded the position taken up by the patriots went there with a company and searched the house thoroughly and also the amphitheatre but found nothing suspicious in either immediately after news was heard of the massacres that had taken place during the night the country house belonging to monsieur and mademoiselle noguier had been broken into the furniture destroyed the owners killed in their beds and an old man of seventy who lived with them cut to pieces with a scythe a young fellow of fifteen named Peyre, in passing near the guard placed at the pont des files had been asked by a red tuft if he were a catholic or protestant on his replying he was protestant he was shot dead on the spot that was like killing a lamb said a comrade to the murderer pooh he said he i have taken a vow to kill four protestants and he may pass for one monsieur magre an old man of eighty-two head of one of the most respected families in the neighborhood tried to escape from his house along with his son his daughter-in-law two grandchildren and two servants 
but the carriage was stopped and while the rebels were murdering him and his son the mother and her two children succeeded in escaping to an inn whither the assassins pursued them fortunately however the two fugitives having a start reached the inn a few minutes before their pursuers and the innkeeper had enough presence of mind to conceal them and open the garden gate by which he said they had escaped the catholics believing him scattered over the country to look for them and during their absence the mother and children were rescued by the mounted patrol the exasperation of the protestants rose higher and higher as reports of these murders came in one by one till at last the desire for vengeance could no longer be repressed and they were clamorously insisting on being led against the ramparts and the towers when without warning a heavy fusillade began from the windows and clock tower of the capuchin monastery monsieur massin a municipal officer was killed on the spot a sapper fatally wounded and twenty-five of the national guard wounded more or less severely the protestants immediately rushed towards the monastery in a disorderly mass but the superior instead of ordering the gates to be opened appeared at the window above the entrance and addressing the assailants as the vilest of the vile asked them what they wanted at the monastery we want to destroy it we want to pull it down till not one stone rests upon another they replied upon this the reverend father ordered the alarm bells to be rung and from the mouths of bronze issued the call for help but before it could arrive the door was burst in with hatchets and five capuchins and several of the militia who wore the red tuft were killed while all the other occupants of the monastery ran away taking refuge in the house of a protestant called paulan during this attack the church was respected a man from sormieres however stole a pyx which he found in the sacristy but as soon as his comrades perceived this he was arrested and sent to prison in the monastery itself however the doors were broken in the furniture smashed the library and the dispensary wrecked the sacristy itself was not spared its presses being broken into its chest destroyed and two monstrances broken but nothing further was touched the storehouses and the small cloth factory connected with the monastery remained intact like the church but still the towers held out and it was round them that the real fighting took place the resistance offered from within being all the more obstinate that the besieged expected relief from moment to moment not knowing that their letters had been intercepted by the enemy on every side the rattling of shot was heard from the esplanade from the windows from the roofs but very little effect was produced by the protestants for descombier had told his men to put their caps with the red tufts on the top of the wall to attract the bullets while they fired from the side meantime the conspirators in order to get a better command of the besiegers reopened a passage which had been long walled up between the tower du poid and the tower of the dominicans descombier accompanied by thirty men came to the door of the monastery nearest the fortifications and demanded the key of another door which led to that part of the ramparts which was opposite the place de carme where the national guards were stationed in spite of the remonstrances of the monks who saw that it would expose them to great danger the doors were opened and froment hastened to occupy every post of vantage and the battle began in that quarter too becoming fiercer as the conspirators remarked that every minute brought the protestants reinforcements from gardonique and la vonage the firing began at ten o'clock in the morning and at four o'clock in the afternoon it was going on with unabated fury at four o'clock however a servant carrying a flag of truce appeared he brought a letter from descombier fremont and folachet who styled themselves captains commanding the towers of the castle it was couched in the following words 
to the commandant of the troops of the line with the request that the contents be communicated to the militia stationed in the esplanade sir we have just been informed that you are anxious for peace we also desire it and have never done anything to break it if those who have caused the frightful confusion which at present prevails in the city are willing to bring it to an end we offer to forget the past and to live with them as brothers we remain with all the frankness and loyalty of patriots and frenchmen your humble servants the captains of the legion of nimes in command of the towers of the castle froment descombier folachet nimes the fourteenth june seventeen ninety four p m on the receipt of this letter the city herald was sent to the towers to offer the rebels terms of capitulation the three captains in command came out to discuss the terms with the commissioners of the electoral body they were armed and followed by a great number of adherents however as the negotiators desired peace before all things they proposed that the three chiefs should surrender and place themselves in the hands of the electoral assembly this offer being refused the electoral commissioners withdrew and the rebels retired behind their fortifications about five o'clock in the evening just as the negotiations were broken off monsieur aubry an artillery captain who had been sent with two hundred men to the depot of field artillery in the country returned with six pieces of ordnance determined to make a breach in the tower occupied by the conspirators and from which they were firing in safety at the soldiers who had no cover at six o'clock the guns being mounted their thunder began first drowning the noise of the musketry and then silencing it altogether for the cannon-balls did their work quickly and before long the tower threatened to fall thereupon the electoral commissioners ordered the firing to cease for a moment in the hope that now the danger had become so imminent the leaders would accept the conditions which they had refused one hour before and not desiring to drive them to desperation the commissioners advanced again down college street preceded by a bugler and the captains were once more summoned to a parley froment and descombier came out to meet them and seeing the condition of the tower they agreed to lay down their arms and send them for the palace while they themselves would proceed to the electoral assembly and place themselves under its protection these proposals being accepted the commissioners waved their hats as a sign that the treaty was concluded at that instant three shots were fired from the ramparts and cries of treachery treachery were heard on every side the catholic chiefs returned to the tower while the protestants believing that the commissioners were being assassinated reopened the cannonade but finding that it took too long to complete the breach ladders were brought the walls scaled and the towers carried by assault some of the catholics were killed the others gained froment's house where encouraged by him they tried to organize a resistance but the assailants despite the oncoming darkness attacked the place with such fury that doors and windows were shattered in an instant froment and his brother pierre tried to escape by a narrow staircase which led to the roof but before they reached it pierre was wounded in the hip and fell but froment reached the roof and sprang upon an adjacent housetop and climbing from roof to roof reached the college and getting into it by a garret window took refuge in a large room which was always unoccupied at night being used during the day as a study froment remained hidden there until eleven o'clock it being then completely dark he got out of the window crossed the city gained the open country and walking all night concealed himself during the day in the house of a catholic the next night he set off again and reached the coast where he embarked on board a vessel for italy in order to report to those who had sent him the disastrous results of his enterprise for three whole days the carnage lasted 
the protestants losing all control over themselves carried on the work of death not only without pity but with refined cruelty more than five hundred catholics lost their lives before the seventeenth when peace was restored for a long time recriminations went on between catholics and protestants each party trying to fix on the other the responsibility for those dreadful three days but at last francois froment put an end to all doubt on the subject by publishing a work from which are set forth many of the details just laid before our readers as well as the reward he met with when he reached turin at a meeting of the french nobles in exile a resolution was passed in favour of monsieur pierre froment and his children inhabitants of nimes we give a literal reproduction of this historic document we the undersigned french nobles being convinced that our order was instituted that it might become the prize of valour and the encouragement of virtue do declare that the chevalier de guerre having given us proof of the devotion to their king and the love of their country which have been displayed by monsieur pierre froment receiver of the clergy and his three sons mathieu froment citizen jacques froment canon francois froment advocate inhabitants of nimes we shall henceforward regard them and their descendants as nobles and worthy to enjoy all the distinctions which belong to the true nobility brave citizens who perform such distinguished actions as fighting for the restoration of the monarchy ought to be considered as the equals of those french chevaliers whose ancestors helped to found it furthermore we do declare that as soon as circumstances permit we shall join together to petition his majesty to grant to this family so illustrious through its virtue all the honours and prerogatives which belong to those born noble we depute the marquis de Marron, comte d'espinchal the marquis d'escars vicomte de pont chevalier de guerre and the marquis de la ferronniere to go to monseigneur le comte d'artois monseigneur le duc d'angouleme monseigneur le duc de berry monseigneur le prince de conde monseigneur le duc de bourbon and monseigneur le duc d'enghien to beg them to put themselves at our head when we request his majesty to grant to monsieur's froment all the distinctions and advantages reserved for the true nobility at turin twelfth september seventeen ninety the nobility of languedoc learned of the honours conferred on their countrymen monsieur froment and addressed the following letter to him lorch july seventh seventeen ninety two monsieur the nobles of languedoc hasten to confirm the resolution adopted in your favour by the nobles assembled at turin they appreciate the zeal and the courage which have distinguished your conduct and that of your family they have therefore instructed us to assure you of the pleasure with which they will welcome you among those nobles who are under the orders of marshal de castries and that you are at liberty to repair to lorch to assume your proper rank in one of the companies we have the honour to be monsieur your humble and obedient servants comte de toulouse lautrec marquis de la jonquiere etc End of chapter six reading by john van stan savannah georgia